morning. Uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. That's where we're going we're gonna to live this morning. I spent this last week taking a doctoral seminar in um, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, oh, okay. Uh, at Southern Seminary. Uh, flew out Monday, came back late Friday night, and uh, we spent the week studying the Old Testament. And, and uh, Central makes that possible in a lot of ways for me to do that. And some of you, this is the first time you're learning about that. Uh, but but you, need to, you need to know how meaningful and important that is for me. Um, and I'm grateful for that, that opportunity. Um, I'm trying my best here. So uh, so making you proud there. But uh, anyway, I, maybe this isn't you, but for me, I love to read and write and study. And that's basically what I spent my last week doing. Um, and I love to sit in a room and know that I'm for sure the dumbest person there. Uh, I... I Believe it or not, really enjoy that. I just be quiet and listen and learn. And uh, it, it was a great time, but by the time Friday afternoon came around, I was done. Uh, my brain was full. I didn't have any more to give. Um, our, our time there was done about 3.30 on Friday, but the soonest flight that I could get out of there was uh, about 7 o'clock. And so I had nowhere to go. I had a rental car that needed to get back to the airport. And so I just kind of went early to the airport and I walked in, and the, the TSA security line was really long, and I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to stand in that line. So I just found a, a little spot, a little restaurant that I just kind of posted up at and just waited for that security checkpoint thing to get shorter. It was a KFC, of all places. And I just sat there, but I had this incredible view of people waiting in line to go in, but then I had this view of, of the exit, people getting off their plane and leaving the airport and standing right outside the exit is a bunch of people that are waiting on someone to arrive. Uh, family member, spouse or something, they're, they're waiting for their spouse to come. Uh, parents waiting for their kids to arrive. They're, they're standing there, they're checking their watch, they're looking at the little uh, the, the board that tells, tells you when the flights are arriving. They're, uh, they've got some balloons. And I have a picture, put that picture up there. Some, something like that. That is a non-creeper picture, but I for sure took it. I promise you I wasn't stalking anyone. I probably looked like it. But that was my view from the KFC uh, right there, just kind of watching these people waiting on their people to come home. It was their welcome party. I wonder, as Christians, if we sometimes forget what it is we're inviting people to. Like, we want to follow Jesus and we want others we believe others need to also follow Jesus too. But I can't help but wonder if maybe we've got the message so watered down that it's not worth proclaiming. It's not worth responding to. And I wonder if we've got our priorities out of balance. Well, look with me. Matthew chapter 4. Read with me. God's Word. Verse 17 says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. 
And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. As we look at this passage this morning, I think there are two things that we need to learn from it. Jesus makes the call to Peter and Andrew to come follow him, and that same call goes out to you and I this morning. Come follow Jesus. And if we would, if we would follow Jesus, there are two things that I think this passage tells us. Two things that we've got to do. The first thing is this. If if we want to follow Jesus, we have to pick up Jesus' priorities. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to pick up Jesus' priorities. And what were Jesus' priorities? We could come up with all sorts of answers and we could find lots of things. But immediately here in Matthew, I think what we can see is that Jesus' priority is people. People are Jesus' priority. Notice here that Jesus begins by preaching a, a message of repentance. It's an all call, a general message that he's preaching in synagogues and in cities and and in the countryside and in the temple. He's preaching this message of repentance to the masses. But I also want you to notice as we look at this that he doesn't only preach to the masses. He doesn't only call them. Jesus also called individuals. He called Peter and Andrew. He called James And John, a few chapters later, he's going to call Matthew himself, the author of this gospel. He's going to call them. And they weren't all that important people. They they were just like your regular Joes. But he called them man to man, face to face, one on one. He calls them. Now, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, they all heard Jesus talk before. It just told us he went around and he preached these messages. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. They heard him preach over and over. They'd heard his message, but at what point did they put their nets down? When did they put down the money bags? When did they do that? They did that when they realized Jesus was talking to me. Oh, you meant meant me. Jesus called individuals. I also want you to notice who else Jesus prioritized. If we were to keep reading... In Matthew, you would see that, yes, Jesus went throughout all Galilee and he preached to um, in their synagogues and, and he proclaimed the gospel. He gives this general call. But if you keep reading, it says that he healed every disease and every affliction among the people. It says that they brought him all the sick. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics. And he healed them. Think about that for a second. We just breeze by that summary statement. That is a summary statement. They brought him all the sick. How many? Dozens? Hundreds? And Jesus gave individual attention to each one. We, we look at the Gospels and we get like 8, 9, 10, how many stories of Jesus healing people? And we see the kind of attention that he gives them. We don't get all the stories. The Apostle John, at the end of his gospel, he said, Jesus did so many things that if we wrote down every little interaction he had, every little miracle he did, it would fill up all the books in the whole world. 
There's no way we could list out everything that Jesus did. So you imagine Jesus had one-on-one attention with people. Jesus' priority is people. He's calling people to himself. And so if we want to follow Jesus, we have to pick up Jesus' priority. That means we have to make the thing that's most important to him the most important thing to us. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to pick up his priority, do you know what that means? We're going to have to put our priorities down. What, what did Peter and Andrew, James and John, what did they do? They put down their nets. James and John left their dad. They, they left it behind. They put down their priorities to go after Jesus' priority. What is your priority? That's the question to ask. What is the thing that you're holding in your hands that's more important than the thing Jesus says is most important? What's more important than the people that God has sent you? God has sent you people. Friends, family, neighbors, co-workers. And what about the people that you just so happen to come into contact with every day? You know, those, those are the interactions we read about Jesus. He's just running into people and dealing with those interruptions. Well, what does it look like to make people a priority? This, this uh, message falls on the heels of last week we talked about biblical community. So in the context of church and, and community and having, having biblical community with other believers, what does making people a priority look like? I think one thing is that we would be welcoming inviters. Welcoming inviters. We've got to be welcomers. Let's just take like a small picture when you come to church. When you come to church, are you coming to be served or are you coming to be a welcomer even though you're not wearing a badge that says I'm a welcomer? Smile. Park far away so other people can park close. See somebody that you haven't seen in a while and shake their hand. Somebody you don't know. Ask them what their name is. I'm sorry, I've never seen you before. What's your name? Well, I've been here 15 years. Well, okay, but I don't know your name. That's, that's an okay conversation to have. Offer to take someone to lunch. Help people get connected. Hey, did you know we have a youth ministry? I see that you have a teenage. Did you know that we have that? Introduce some people to other people. Hey, this is Bob. Have you met Stephen? Like, you can introduce people. That's being a welcomer. But not just when you're at church, right? Be a welcomer everywhere. That's called hospitality. Hospitality, the Greek word for hospitality is a, is a combo word. It means love strangers. Love strangers. So welcome others, not just at church when it's like the thing you're supposed to do and when I signed up to be on the welcome team. Welcome others into your life. There's a really great book written by a guy named Elliot Clark, Evangelism as Exiles. Two quotes I want you to hear. Listen to this. He says, people who would never cross the threshold of a church will still walk through your front door. Or what about this one? 
One way sinners enter the kingdom is by first entering our kitchen. To be welcoming is to welcome people not just into a building here, but to welcome them into your life, into your home. Be a welcomer. Be an inviter. Look, this is a good church. It is an easy thing to invite people to come here. And we have a fantastic youth ministry. We got good songs, good musicians. Kids ministry is awesome. Our groups are great. You know, our, our pastor is one of the best shepherds that I've ever met. Like, this is a great place to be. It is so easy to invite people to church. That is an easy thing to do. And you should do it. That may be the first step that you take with somebody that you know just needs to follow Jesus. One of the easiest things you can do is say, will you come to church with me? And we've even made it easy for you. We, we created some like really shallow end things to invite people to. We played bingo of all things last, last month. Bingo. Next month we're watching a movie. That, that is an easy thing that you can invite someone to. And I want to challenge you every time you come to church, for whatever reason that you're coming, dropping kids off for something or coming to church Sunday morning or group or whatever, I want you to consider, is there someone I should be inviting? Who can I invite to this? And some of you may, may object. I, I don't really know who I would invite. Did you know that not this coming week but next week is something called National Night Out? Um. Your neighborhood, if you have an HOA, probably has a, a plan of a party that's going to happen. And, and maybe it doesn't, um, but you can do it. Like, there's no rule that says that somebody else has to do it. You do it. You get your neighbors, go out in the front yard, cook some hot dogs. How hard could that be? And get to know their names and, and get to know who they are as people and begin that relationship that maybe you've been hesitant, not really sure, do I just go knock on their door National Night Out, that's a great opportunity for you to take advantage of that that's already kind of built in somehow, I don't even really know how it started, into our, our regular calendar. So we need to be an inviting people. But Jesus isn't just asking us to invite people to church. To invite people to bingo. That's not really the call of Matthew chapter 4. It's an easier task, and it's okay to do, and we should do it. But that's not all that Jesus has called us to. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to pick up His priority. The second thing is, if we want to follow Jesus, we have to pick up His message. We have to pick up His message. And, and in verse 17, we see the message of Jesus, this summary statement of what He used to preach. He used to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To repent means to about face. I was going one direction. I'm going to stop and I'm going to go a different direction. I was following the way of the world. I was doing the things that I wanted to do. I was walking in sin, but I'm going to repent and I'm going to turn to the Lord Jesus. That's what it means. And the reason Jesus gives that we should repent is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the, the people to whom Jesus is preaching uh, they live in Israel, they're Jews, and they expected the kingdom of heaven to come. What they expected was a son of David to come 
march into Jerusalem, sit on the throne and rule and reign. And eventually they would rule and reign over the whole world. That's what they were expecting. And so Matthew, this gospel of Matthew shows us Jesus is the son of David. And he shows up and he announces the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they're like, where's my sword? It's on. Let's go. We're going to march to Jerusalem now or is that next week? That's what they're planning to do. But Jesus didn't mean it like that. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did Jesus mean? Well, go back with me to the Old Testament. Okay, The people of Israel are in bondage in Egypt. They walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Lord delivers them. And they get to a mountain, Mount Sinai, and God gives them the law. He delivers them from Egypt, gives them the law. And then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That whole generation that originally received the law, they die. And so now, 40 years later, they're on the cusp of entering the promised land. And God's like, let me give you some reminders. Let me give you a second law. That's Deuteronomy. That that word means second law. Let me give you a second law. Let me give you some reminders before you enter the land. And in Deuteronomy, God promised the people, when you get into the land, if you turn away from me and you walk in sin, I'm going to exile you. He says, the land will vomit you out. That's the language he uses. I will exile you. And we know that's exactly what happened. The people enter the land, they turn away from the Lord, and over the span of a few hundred years, finally God had enough. And He sends the Babylonians, and they show up, and they uh, destroy Jerusalem, they destroy the city walls, they destroy the temple, they kill a bunch of people, and then they exile the people out of the promised land back to Babylon. So they were exiled away from the land of promise, they were exiled away from their home. But in Deuteronomy, God, God makes some promises. And, and He said, if, if you enter the land and you, you follow after me, I'll bless you. And you're gonna flourish there. If you don't follow after me, if you turn away from me, I'm going to exile you. And then He knows us really well. You know what He says? And when you turn away from me, and when you are exiled, if you repent, let me, let me read you exactly what it says. This is Deuteronomy 30. You don't need to turn there. But listen to what he says. If you return and obey with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. He will gather you again from the peoples where the Lord scattered you. In other words, if you repent, I'll bring you home. That's the promise of Deuteronomy Chapter 30, and there is a sense in which Israel did return from exile. If you know the history at all, the king of Persia, his name's Cyrus, he sends the people back to the promised land. He was still their king. They were still a subjected people. And they built villages and cities and they rebuilt the temple from the ground up. They had returned physically, but spiritually they were still in exile. They were away from the presence of the Lord spiritually. You understand spiritual exile, don't you? 
Every single one of us in the room is right now or has at one time experienced spiritual exile. That is to be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Isaiah the prophet tells us that our sin makes a separation between us and God in such a way that, that He doesn't even hear us. And so we were designed for this deep intimacy and because of our sin, it's completely shattered. And so the peace and the satisfaction and the fulfillment and the joy and the hope that you and I were designed to have, we were designed to live with, we don't have it anymore. It's gone from us. And we're looking for it everywhere but the place where it's found. We look for it in achievement and acceptance and substances and relationships and money and possession and body image and identity. We look in this, for this satisfaction and joy everywhere else and we're never satisfied and can't figure it out. That's spiritual exile. What we really need is, is a reconnection with the Creator. Just as Israel was in bondage in Babylon away from the land of promise, so too has all of humanity been spiritually exiled away from our true home. It all began in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. You know, someone once said that the Old Testament ends with a whimper. There's this promise of this glorious return to the land of promise, and we're going to build the temple. And when you get there, it's kind of like the people are not ruling and reigning, they still serve the king of Persia, and they build a temple, and to be honest, it kind of stinks. You can go read Haggai 2. I'm not sure it says the word stinks, but that's the, that's the deal. It's not really that great. It, it ends with a whimper, but that's not really the way that it ends. It kind of ends with this message of hope. So follow me for just a second. This is, I'm about to nerd out on you for one second. Okay? The Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament that we have, is organized differently from our English Old Testament. The books are arranged in a different order, okay? It's all there. Don't panic. It's all there, okay? The way their Bible ends is with Second Chronicles. And here's why that matters. The way their Old Testament, it's their only testament, the way our Old Testament ends, is the king of Persia, Cyrus, he says, basically, if anybody wants to go home to Jerusalem... Go ahead. If you want to go home, your exile is over. And that's the end of the Old Testament. You and I, we look at our Bibles, we flip the page, and then it says, the New Testament. And we flip the page again, and it says, the book of Matthew. And you look in chapter 3, and you have, you have John the Baptist, and, and it says that he stood up and he preached what? A message of repentance. John the Baptist is preaching Deuteronomy 30. John the Baptist is saying, if you repent, you can come home from exile. Nobody's preventing you. Repent. And then Jesus takes that same message. And he expands it. Repent. The, the exile is over. Come home now. Come home. It's over. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the first part of Jesus' message. 
But what I want you to notice, that's his all call. That's the general call. Then he goes to Peter and Andrew and, and he preaches what seems like something different. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What I want to tell you this morning is that's, that's the same message though. That's the same message. Repent and follow me, that's the same thing. Oh, we, we follow, everybody's following somebody. Did you know that? You're following somebody. Some of us are, we're people pleasers. And we're following the people that we aim to please. Jesus says, no, no more of that. Follow me. And then he says, I'll make you fishers of men. That's the same announcement. That's the same announcement. Come home. Let me show you what I mean by that. See, Jesus approaches Peter and Andrew and he says, well, you're fishermen. You used to fat, uh, catch fish. Now you're going to catch men. And we're like, man, Jesus, that's really clever. You think he like thought of that of it in advance or he just came up with it on the spot? Well, I want to tell you, Jesus didn't come up with it on the spot because he didn't come up with it. He's actually quoting the book of Jeremiah. And you can turn and look there later if you want to. I promise I'm not lying about this. Jeremiah 16. Here's what happens. God, God speaks to the people through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says this. I used to be the most famous for delivering my people through the Red Sea in the Exodus. There's coming a day when the thing I'll be most famous for is when I delivered my people from the land of Babylon back to the promised land. And as a matter of fact, the way that I'm going to do that is, is I'm going to raise up some fishermen and I'm going to send them to Babylon and they're going to go catch men and bring them home. And then the Lord Jesus, he knows that verse he knows that passage, and he sees these fishermen, and he's like, watch this. Just as God delivered his people from the land of Egypt, they were in bondage and enslaved, and he delivered them through the Red Sea. And, and just as he delivered his people, they were exiles, captives in Babylon. He delivered them. Do you know what God's going to do? He's going to deliver his people from the clutches and the bondage of sin and death. He's going to call us home. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, I'll make you fishers of men. Peter and Andrew, come home, and now let's go get other people who need to come home. The exile is over. Let's bring them home. See, this is the message of Jesus. His message isn't just church. His message isn't just another nonprofit to, you know, I gotta give some of my time to a nonprofit. It, it, it wasn't a message about filling your calendar with a bunch of stuff. None of that was, was the primary point of the message. The point was, welcome home. Welcome home. That is a tagline for this church. We say it all the time. Welcome home. And, and what we mean by that, really, I think primarily what we mean by that is this is like a spiritual family. Welcome to this spiritual family. But what we ought to mean by that is not only that. What, what we ought to mean is welcome back to a relationship with your Creator. And welcome back to a relationship with His people. Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. That is, to labor for the sake of others and to echo His message. Come home. We don't just invite people to church. 
We invite people to Jesus. We welcome them to the kingdom. That's the invitation. And so, people are the priority, and come home is the message. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's so much more compelling than anything that we could think of. But so often I wonder if we would much rather look the part than play the part. So there's this very popular vacation spot in China, and I don't know how to pronounce it, and I googled it and had it pronounce it for me, and I still don't know how to pronounce it, so I won't try to say it. Um, but there's this spot, and it's known for its seafood, but several years of bad harvest meant that they had to come up with another way to make money for the town. And so what they decided to do was to create this perfect rural town so that tourists can come in and see, like, what is the perfect shot of a, of a rural Chinese town. And, and people go, and they go on this tour, and they take all of these pictures of, of what it looks like to be in rural China. Um, put up that first picture. I want to show you. There it is. There it is. Look at that picture. Isn't that beautiful? That's awesome. I want to go there. I want to go to there. Look. That's great. But you want to know something? It's fake. It's completely staged. The tours are put on by some photography pros. Those farmers, they're not even farmers. They don't know what they're doing. They're posing for a picture. Look at the next picture. I found this article. The, the caption to this picture is, um, Models dressed in a rural fisherman's garb wave nets for the benefit of tourists. They're not trying to catch fish. They're posing for a picture. Look at the next one. It says, uh, these fishermen are models just waiting for the tourist buses to come by before unfurling their colored nets. They're just sitting there waiting for somebody to notice them. They're not actually fishing. It's all fake. It's a show. It looks good on social media. One of these, these companies that offers these tours, they, they kind of brag about people who take pictures in our town. Uh, they win all kind of photography awards. But none of it's real. It's fake. I don't want to be that at Central. Or at, just like as a Christian, but as a church, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a fake Fishermen. We look good, we say the right things, but at the end of the day, we're just kind of like putting on the church show. So people will notice that we're doing the right thing and we just kind of go about our business. But at the end of the day, we don't even know how to use a net. Our priorities might be different from Jesus' priorities. Our message is bland. But Jesus is calling us to be fishers of men. Someone who drops their priorities and picks up Jesus' priorities. Jesus' priority was people. He was the kind of guy that would leave the 99 to go get the one. And, and we think, well, that one shouldn't have wandered off. They can come back when they feel like it. No, Jesus left the 99 to go get the one. 
And we call people and we invite people. We call people not just to play bingo or to watch a movie or to be a part of a group that serves coffee or to be a part of some social club or a book club. That's not what we call people to. This right here, this this church, we are a family of broken people who have been rescued from exile. We were in bondage to sin and we were broken and we were destitute and we needed a savior. But God, he heard our cries. He knew we were broken. He knew that we couldn't do anything to fix our own situation. He needed to save us. And so for each of us in our own lives, God sent for us a fisher of men to come and proclaim the truth to us. And by his grace, only by his grace, we came. And now, listen, now you and I, we have the responsibility and the opportunity to do the same for other people. To go get them. And so here's what that means for us. Listen. As we think about community at Central and biblical community and we're fishers of men and being welcoming. Listen. Are you connected at Central? Jesus is calling us to be connected. Not just people who attend stuff. But to be connected. He wants us to be a part. Not just attending but being known by others and knowing others. Are you connected? If you're listening to this in this room, online, or YouTube later, or podcast later, you're somewhat, somehow, a little connected. But are you connected in with a group? We talked about last week. It's not just nice, it's necessary. Are you connected, and do you need to come home? Is it time to really come home? Are you connected? And if not, why not? Why not? Maybe it's because you've never trusted Jesus. And you're not connected because you don't belong to the family. Hey, now is a good time. What about now? You, un- you understand spiritual exile. You understand that you were created for a relationship with God, but you're cut off from that. That your sin has separated you from God. But Jesus died to save sinners. And we can place our faith in Him, and He will save us from the judgment to come. And today, in this moment, now, you can give yourself over to the Lord Jesus. Right now, you can. There's no better time. There's no better time. Get off the plane. We're we're all waiting at the exit for you. We're looking at our watch. We're checking the the board to see when you're going to arrive. We've got the, the posters and the balloons. Why not now? Maybe you're not connected because you've never trusted Jesus. Or maybe you're not connected for some other reason. I've thought through the reasons why people would not be uh, connected. And I just want to say two things about that. One is this. Community is built, not found. Community is built, not found. We often... Hear from people who feel disconnected. They'll say, I just can't find what I'm looking for. Community is not something you're going to stumble upon. It's not just going to happen to you. It's something that you build over time. And so some of the the things that we hear from people is like, it seems like these groups are well established and these people have known each other for like 20 plus years. It's hard for me to break in. I don't know what to do. And my response is like, that group has accomplished what we want people to accomplish in their group. They have developed a close-knit group. 
they didn't start that way. It developed over time. And so, yeah, you can be a part, but sometimes it is hard to break in. So why don't we start something new? Why don't we build something new? Let me give you two examples. One is this. There, there's a, there's a, two guys, Greg and Ed. They couldn't find a group at Central to connect in. They were having a really hard time. They were feeling pretty disconnected. Do you know what they did? They didn't complain about it. They didn't whine about it. They didn't look at another, go to another church that maybe has more of what I'm looking. You know what they did? They came and asked me if they could start one. Can you help me build something? Yes. That group's called the circle. They just started. If you're looking for an input place of a, of a newly formed group, that's a great place to start. They're called the circle. They sit in a circle and it's a discussion group. You can be a part of that group. That's a great place to plug in. Let me tell you about another one. Raquel and Michael. Uh, they were looking for a group of people who were in similar life stage, a little, more kind of focused in. They are parents of preschoolers, parents of babies. And they really wanted a group of people that was in that same life stage. And they couldn't really find exactly what they were looking for. So do you know what they did? Can we start one? Can you help us start one? Yes. And they are, and they're launching in September. If that's you, if you've got young kids at home and you want to be a part of that group, they want you. They're going to start at the first part of September. You can be a part of that group. But notice those two groups of people, what they did is they built something, or they're starting to build something. They're not just letting everybody else do it for them. They're not coming to be served, but they're coming to serve. Community is built, not found. And you might say, well, I'm not a teacher. Like, I'm not going to just go start a group and everyone's going to come. That's not the way that I function. Yeah, but we don't only need teachers. We just need good, faithful members of groups. Can you be that? Yes is the answer. Yes, you can. That, that's what we're looking for. Community is built. One more thing. One more response. I think sometimes we can't find community because we're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for the wrong thing. And so here's my encouragement to you. Find your people not your perfect. Find your people, not your perfect. A, a friend of mine, he's a worship leader in San Antonio, he, he said that recently. Uh, community is messy, community is vital, but when we start chasing somewhere that's totally safe and totally set in stone, we miss the point. We're looking for the perfect people where we've never been wounded or we're, we're looking for the perfect circumstances. I'm really busy and, and I'm just really, I'm looking for a group that meets Tuesday nights from 6 to 7 in the southwest part of the city that's people ages 21 to 20. We're never going to find the perfect group for you. Find your people, not your perfect. Are you connected to biblical community at Central? Why not? That's the question. Why not? And so here's how we're, we're going to wrap up. We're going to wrap up in prayer. But we're going to pray through. You were given a card on the way in, and some of you were like, I filled one out last week. I don't need to do it this week. Wrong. You need to do it this week. And uh, the reason why we're doing it is because we're going to pray through it this time. If you need a card, one per family, if you need a card, you can raise your hand. Uh, Renee's at the back. She can get that in your hands. Um, we're going to pray through this card, and here's what we're going to do. Name, phone number, email, make sure we can read that. Um, your answers may not have changed from last time. Do it anyway. Your answers may have changed from last time. Do it again, okay? But we're going to pray through it. The first box is you already have a group and you're happy in it. 
Tell me the name of that group. But here's what I want you to pray. Who's missing from my group? I'm happy. But is there anybody that's missing? Is there anybody I should invite? Pray through that. How can I be welcoming? How can I be inviting in my group? How can I serve? The next two boxes there, I'm interested in in a 945 ABF Sunday morning or a midweek group. If you're interested in learning about those, check those boxes. But what you're saying when you check those boxes is I'm interested in learning about building community, not to be served. I'm interested in learning how I'm going to build this thing. I'm going to take matters in my hands and I'm going to build it not to be served. The next box, I'm interested in learning about leading a group. You're not committing to leading anything and I'm not committing that you can lead anything. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to give you some information. But if you check that box, what you're saying is you're interested in learning about building community. Not building a platform, building Community. And the last box that you're going to pray through, some of you, and there were a few last time, dead dead serious. I'm not interested in being in a group. You might have legitimate reasons. If I said, are you not in community, why not? And you could list out ten things for me. You might have legitimate reasons. If that's true, I want you to be courageous and honest. Check that box. But as you check that box, I want you to prayerfully think about why. Are the things that are causing you to say no, are they more important than people? Or maybe you're looking for perfect that doesn't exist. Pray through it. If you check that box, I promise I will not guilt you. I will not call you and try to talk you out of your check. Okay? Just be honest. This is for you. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to bow your heads. Go ahead, bow your heads. You're going to pray either as a family or by yourself, you're going to fill that card out. And as you're praying and spending time in prayer, the band's going to lead us. When, you, when you're done, you can stand and sing, or you can sit and, and listen, or, or however you want to respond. When the service is over, those, those cards can get dropped in the bucket at the back. Well, let me pray for you, and I want you to respond how the Lord calls. Lord, I pray that you would speak truth to us, and you would move our hearts. And we would obey you in the ways that you want us to obey you. So, Lord, help us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.